Welcome back to Shit I Should Have Read in School, the podcast where we go back and read the classic books we are too busy throwing soft Gatsby parties in our friends' basement who had the quote-unquote cool parents. <laughs> Gatsby light, if you Gatsby will. Gatsby light, yeah. <laughs> For today's episode, we read F. Scott Fitzgerald's The Great Gatsby. We'll discuss why this book is a constant classic. The writing is beautiful. Throw away the symbolism. Teach something else. Teach a story. What makes it relatable? I think, like, standing by your commitments until they become the love story again is romantic. And if Gatsby was a romantic or a stalker. He was trying to manufacture their reunion. But first, let's introduce ourselves. So Gatsby threw elaborate themed parties to win the love of his dream girl. So today we'll introduce ourselves by sharing how far we've gone for love or what we wouldn't do. I will go first. I'm Lisa Marie. So I think what I wouldn't do for love is probably live with extended family. Yeah. I like having Steve uh, and I alone yeah. in our house. I get you that. Have your no space. one else. <laughs> I, it's my house. It's my space. I am the queen here. <laughs> Some relationships um, are only as strong as not yeah, together. Yeah, I don't think that our relationship would survive like an outside member in our space. A third every party, day. if you. But will. even yeah. your relationships with the extended family, you know what I mean? Like me and my sister started getting along much better when we no longer inhabited the same yes. space. <laughs> Agreed. Sometimes you just need an escape. Love you, Megan. Mm, I need I my house to be an eternal escape. So I think <laughs> I think that's probably my line. Mm-hmm. I'm Lauren, and I was trying to think of something I would do for love, and I'm like, I don't know, the first thing that came to mind is like long distance, but I hated that shit. So I think like an absolute no for me is I just, I don't think I could ever be in an open relationship. No judgment against those who do, and I understand how it takes, maybe helps take pressure off of, you know, being perfect and always being in love with that person every single second of every single day. But I'm I'm not good at sharing, and I think that would make me feel less comfortable and more insecure in the relationship than than the other way around. So yeah, so I should I stop asking. <laughs> Katie, stop trying to bring a third into our relationship. Uh, my goodness, sorry. Right. Good to know. Good to know. I am Groot. I am Katie, and. <laughs> I will take it the opposite way. I think there was a man that I wanted to, uh, I found very attractive in college, who I ended up losing my virginity to, and to win him and his roommate's affection, I was very into PS2, and they were all enamored that I had Tony Hawk Pro Skater 4 for (laughs) PS2, and I brought that shit over to their apartment, did lose my virginity to him, but also lost the game in the process. Was it worth it? I don't know. I don't know. I don't think it was. I still think about that game. Yeah. That's how far I went. It's a steep price I to pay. I was like, what? That, where did that go with the question? <laughs> like, which okay. question <laughs> Too much for the top of the episode? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Hmm. I know. All right. So, The Great Gatsby was published in 1925 by F. Scott Fitzgerald. It received high praise but mediocre sales. So the book actually weirdly followed F. Scott Fitzgerald's life pretty closely. What you know? He went into the service around the end of World War I. He fell in love with a young Southern debutante who he was too poor to marry. And then he moved to New York to become a writer, and he got his first book published, This Side of Paradise, which was a smashing success and brought in lots of money for him. So he was able to go back to the South and marry his lady love, Zelda. He got the girl in the end. So it did work out. He got the girl in the end. However, Zelda and Fitzgerald lived their 1920s lifestyle. They went big. Um, And then the Great Depression hit. And then Zelda suffered from bouts of nervous breakdowns to the point where she was put in institutions, and he went too hard to 
and developed alcoholism. Oof. So we may have spoke too soon on the happy ending piece. <laughs> oh, no happy ending. They both died very young. He was forty four. She was forty eight. Oh my gosh! But when they were together, they had each other. He got the and girl. their money. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Damn, those twenties were fine. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So weirdly, like follows the plot of The Great Gatsby, which Lauren will get into, but not the most happy ending. So now that we know a little bit more about the book, Lauren, please remind us the plot of The Great Gatsby. All right, old sports. For a short book documenting a relatively short period of time, we've got a lot going on, so bear with me. We start out meeting our narrator, Nick Carraway, a Minnesota native who moves to West Egg, Long Island, in the search of making it as a bondsman in the Big Apple. Even though West Egg ain't got nothing on East Egg's old money lavishness, Nick still finds himself next door neighbors with a sprawling mansion and a mysterious owner by the name of Jay Gatsby. He may not be able to afford the luxuries of East Egg, but Nick sure knows his way about town. His cousin, Daisy Buchanan, actually lives just across the water in East Egg with her husband, Tom, and daughter, Pammy. Daisy is this ethereal, wispy, and waspy tease of a woman. Pleasant and warm, but at the same time, distant and superficial. She's a girl who has never known financial struggles in her life. Tom is an elitist, racist, hulking brood of a man with a penchant for pontificating and determined to keep his trysts with another man's wife alive and well. Often found right by Daisy's side is her girlfriend, Jordan Baker, a professional golfer that Daisy immediately tries to set up with Nick. After one afternoon with all three, Nick returns home to West Egg and catches his first glimpse at his new neighbor, Mr. Gatsby. He doesn't actually make Gatsby's acquaintance until a little while later, though. In the meantime, he has the reluctant honor of meeting Tom's side piece, Myrtle Wilson. She's the wife of the owner of a garage that sits smack dab in the middle between New York City and Long Island, where Tom frequently stops to gas up and to signal to Myrtle that she should meet him in the city later at a secret apartment they share together. Maybe Nick never tells his cousin about her husband's affair because she apparently already knows, but I also think he's just a coward who continues to let this white supremacist step out on his wife. So in any case, uh, one night Nick finally gets to meet our enigmatic Gatsby at one of his many extravagant parties at his mansion. These parties are filled with debauchery from start to finish. Most of the people who show up to these lavish affairs aren't even invited, let alone know Gatsby personally. But the legend of a Gatsby party is too tempting to stay away. And why not? The booze is free, the music's good, and they get to rage in a friggin' mansion until the sun comes up. Tempt me with a good time, right, Katie? <laughs> I'd do it. That sounds exactly like the kind. I'm like, who's the Gatsby of our neighborhood? Is there throwing one tonight? Free? <laughs> Count me in, yeah. Nick is one of the few to have received a formal invitation to this specific party from Gatsby's butler, no less, and decides, fuck it, why not? So takes him up on his offer, and he even runs into Jordan Baker there, which I'm sure Daisy would have loved to hear. Uh, and then eventually happens upon our party's magnanimous host, Gatsby, where they quickly become fast friends. This is the first time Jordan also meets Gatsby face to face as well. And when he asks to see her privately for a moment, she's perplexed as to why. We're not sure what transpired between them after she rejoins the party, but we'll find out later. Over the next few months, Nick gets to know Gatsby and, and Jordan better. He sees Gatsby is usually the only one not joining in on the boozing and tomfoolery like the rest of his party guests, and he's always taking calls from one city or another. You start to glean that Gatsby is mixed up in some less-than-legal dealings with some shady mob-type characters, but Nick doesn't really ever bother to get more details on that. He's like, mm, don't, don't. Don't ask, don't tell. Yep. 
And Jordan is someone he comes to actually date and really care for. Well done, Daisy. Uh, Despite the fact that she is inherently dishonest and incapable of accepting responsibility for any wrongdoing. Dating is hard. I get it. Settle where you can, right? Jordan is finally truthful about one thing, though. She tells Nick about what she learned from Gatsby that night he pulled her aside. Turns out Gatsby not only knows Nick's cousin Daisy, but he has been madly in love with her since the moment he met her some years ago, long before Tom entered the picture. Gatsby was in the military, though, and eventually had to leave Daisy to go fight in the war. He also knew he couldn't provide for a girl like Daisy until he made something of himself, because she's super rich and accustomed to that kind of life. And Daisy knew her lot in life was to get married uh, rich and quick. So she didn't wait for him to return, and thus her new life with Tom. Gatsby never stops thinking about her, though, and once he came into money, he purchases his mansion for the sole purpose of being directly across the water from Daisy, just to be close to her again. This man has a goal in mind and stuck to it. He also starts throwing those insane house parties in the hopes that one day she may come to one. Romantic or stalker-like? You decide. Gatsby finally sees his in when Nick moves in next door and uses Jordan as a way of asking Nick to set up a meeting between he and Daisy. Nick reluctantly agrees, thinks, oh, this is a little shady, but okay, and invites Daisy over for tea a few days later, sans her hubby. The reunion is fraught with emotion and nostalgia of days long past, but the two seem to pick up right where they left off pretty quickly. Around this time, our narrator Nick decides to break away from the timeline of his recounting of this story to tell us who Jay Gatsby actually is. Jay Gatsby was actually born James Gatz, a poor farm boy from North Dakota who happened upon a rich guy on a yacht one day while fishing and becomes his personal assistant, just traveling all over with him and being exposed to the nicest things money can buy. It's all about who you know, you know? Needs to start hanging out at the Mm -hmm. beach more. Determined to reinvent and make something of himself, he changes his name to Jay Gatsby and sets off on his lifelong goal of being wealthy and successful. Cut back to our story, post Gatsby and Daisy's reunion, Nick actually runs into Tom at Gatsby's house one day, of all places. Tom was out riding with some friends who knew Gatsby and swung by his place to have a nice mid-afternoon drink. This is Gatsby's first time meeting the man who somewhat stole Daisy from him and lets slip that he knows Daisy from a long time ago. Immediately makes Tom suspicious, and so Tom starts secretly looking into this elusive Gatsby and and where, how does this man make his money? How is he rich? A good-looking rich man into my wife? Exactly. On Tom's old money and Gatsby's new money, and old money don't like new money, so. On one of the hottest days of the year, the five of them are hanging out at the Buchanan's Daisy, Tom, Gatsby, Nick, and Jordan, and Daisy and Gatsby are doing a real shit job of playing it cool. Instead, Daisy is being super conspicuous, and this is when it hits Tom that his wife is in love with another dude. A bit pot calling the kettle black, if you ask me, but obviously this sets our boy off and he is pissed. Daisy suggests that they all go into the city to escape the heat. So the five of them set off in two separate cars, Daisy and Gatsby in Tom's car, and Tom insists on driving Nick and Jordan in Gatsby's car. A sporty little... It's it a is weird a weird flex. flex. Like, hey, you. To want to drive the dude that you hate's car. Like, yeah. what is the end game? And also, just like, I just like if someone said to me, hey, you, I want to drive your car. I'd be like, hey, no, go back. I see your driving record. <laughs> but uh, Tom does. He insists on yeah. driving Gatsby's car. It's a sporty little yellow number. Remember that. Dun, dun, dun. On the way there, Tom pulls over to put gas in Gatsby's car at his usual usual haunt, uh, the Wilson's garage, and runs into his lover's husband, who is distraught, having just found out that Myrtle's been cheating on him, although he doesn't know with whom, ironically. 
So the five all regroup at the Plaza Hotel in the city for some ice-cold mint juleps, but the tension eventually breaks when Tom begins confronting Gatsby and trying to undo some of the lies he tells about his life. This compels Gatsby into spitting out that Daisy's always loved him, not Tom, and that she's leaving Tom. She loves me. Mm -hmm. She never loved you. It's a real pissing contest. (laughs) But Tom can see that his unraveling of some of Gatsby's lies successfully made Daisy doubt her her feelings for Gatsby and eventually she concedes that she's loved both of them she's like I can't I cannot choose a favorite I liked you both loved you both she's just so upset she wants to get the fuck out of there it's uncomfortable now she's been found she's been had so she and Gatsby drive back in Gatsby's car this time and the other three ride back in Tom's on the way back Tom sees a commotion at Wilson's garage that they had stopped at only hours earlier and he pulls over and is devastated to find Myrtle's lifeless body on the ground dead from a hit and run accident Mr. Wilson is inconsolable and says a sporty yellow car hit her and didn't even try to stop. Dun, dun, dun. Remember, remember? Tom immediately knows what happened and gets everyone home ASAP. And by now, Nick has figured it out, too, and is sick about it. He blows Jordan off and just waits for a taxi to take him back to East Egg when he sees Gatsby in the shadows waiting, waiting to make sure that Daisy's OK and Tom's not going to hurt her after what happened tonight. While Gatsby is recounting the accident to Nick, Nick realizes that it was Daisy driving the car, not Gatsby. What? So Daisy had struck. I oh, know, mind blown. That that one threw me. I kind of got that the that they had hit her. I didn't get that Daisy was driving the car uh, immediately. Last last act of love. Exactly. <laughs> love or jealousy. Uh, Daisy had struck and killed Tom's lover, and then drove off. But Tom doesn't hurt Daisy. Instead, the two just kind of like make up. Uh, resolve their differences and take off, leaving no forwarding address and no note for Nick or anyone. But not before Wilson, the distraught husband, makes his way to Tom, realizing Tom must know the owner of the yellow car since he was driving it earlier in the day. And Tom, like the asshole he is, lets him know where to find Gatsby. So Wilson shows up to Gatsby's mansion and takes both his and his own life in retribution. Nick finds Gatsby's body in the pool and begins making funeral arrangements. He quickly realizes for a man that is as well-renowned as Gatsby and for as many people as he was constantly surrounded by in life, not many were willing to support him in death and literally almost no one shows up to his funeral. Disenchanted with New York and the carelessness of the rich, Nick moves back to the Midwest, forever changed by that fateful summer in New York. A real upper. <laughs> real feel good. <laughs> real feel good. Really kicked you in all the fields. Yeah. <laughs> so when we get back, we will discuss why we care about these rich people's lives 100 years after the book was written. Yeah. Why do we care about these rich people? <laughs> Tell us how you really feel. <laughs> Welcome back to the shit I should have read in school. Now let's discuss The Great Gatsby. Let's. Okay. So this is arguably one of the most acclaimed and culturally popular classics despite being one of the shittiest love stories (laughs) ever made um and the book actually does a really crappy job of talking about the american dream like nothing really great happens so like does it live up to the hype why is this book so popular katie i think i have two thoughts here (laughs) shocking i know let's hear them all right so i think that one f scott fitzgerald is a terrific writer i think that was my lauren i think you agreed with this as well we took that away instantly from the book Mm -hmm. but i think it's 
overhyped in school because it is the easiest fucking book to write a test on. It's like mm-hmm. everything is fucking symbolism, whether F. Scott wanted it or not, which is what I want to know and go back to all my teachers and be like, her dress was blue because it was blue. It didn't have a deeper <laughs> meaning. Nobody gave a fuck. It was blue. It yeah. has nothing else. And now this book being a little bit different, scholars have studied the green light. Who cares? <laughs> I think it gets hyped up because teachers can teach it easily. Yeah. Now, I will say on the other side of this, as a 30 year old now reading a book about the American dream, something that we as America like to hype up and be like, look how awesome we are. This is one of the books that was like, uh, actually, uh, actually, the American dream, not so great, kind of has a lot of pitfalls. You either are rich already and make it or you're like the one in a million and everybody else kind of falls to a Gatsby level uh, disappointment. Maybe not to the extent, whatever, but I think it is a good story with good writing and just not the usual pontification. Hey, I see what you Thank did you. there. I heard what you did there. Proud of you. Of what, you know, life can be. It's like, no, life can actually be kind of shitty. It doesn't always work out. And I think that that we like to hype that up as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mark? I think once again, it's like a cautionary tale on like, you know, all that glitters is gold, but also comes with some serious consequences. But when you think about it, it's all, it's not a really great um, moral of the story because like the rich people stay rich. They don't really have any consequences, even though Daisy fucking killed a chick like full <laughs> on. Uh, and someone who wanted to be a part of their world so much ends up losing his life in the process, uh, ends up pining over someone who doesn't choose him in the end and then he dies so i don't know about cautionary tale i think we like to in this country call out you know the disparity between like the wealthy and the poor and and highlight also you know anyone can attain the the american dream it's attainable but not without you know sacrifices and and what have you but I don't know. I, I think the only thing about it that makes it a classic for me, I agree, is the writing is beautiful. He, His depictions, his imagery, um, I could see in my mind's eye what he was describing. And I just thought it was so brilliantly done in that aspect. And it's a very new story. I don't feel like you... I, I can't think of like a lot of Gatsby-like stories in in books and in TV and, and film right now. Personally. What do you mean by Gatsby-like stories? Descriptive or like where nothing good happens? You know, wanting to come up but lying about yourself to, to oh. come up. And he kind of generated wealth because he gave off this illusion that he was already wealthy. And he, he garnered this respect from wealthy because they already thought he was wealthy. So it's not a come up story like he pulled himself up by his bootstraps. Mm-hmm. He fucking got into shady fucking dealings and and lied and fooled people into thinking he was someone he wasn't. It's almost like a cynic's version of what the American dream is. Like exactly. the American dream on a pedestal is like if you work hard enough, you'll become exactly. one of the rich. But in this is like no, the American dream is you can work as hard as you want and you still don't get it. And then you can want to be in love as much as you want. Your husband cheats on you or and you can be as honest as you want and you meet shitty people and then you die. <laughs> and then you die. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like it's a cynics version of what the American dream actually is instead of like could be. I don't know. Which, can you imagine? Go ahead, Lauren. I was just going to say, which I don't I don't dislike. Like, I also think, you know, the American dream is something that gets sold uh, as a bill of goods to people. And and you're right. It's not that doesn't happen for everybody. Plenty of doesn't people happen for work. most people. Exactly. So I, I kind of 
I'm okay that the story isn't trying to glamorize the American dream, but I also just like, I don't know. Mm. It's rough. Could you imagine if, and I know why my brain went here, Leo plays Gatsby in the movie, Leo mm. plays in Titanic, but could you imagine if uh, Jack Dawson in Titanic got to this table of very wealthy, it's a very Gatsby story to me, but it, mm. it's more idealistic because the girl's on board with it. Kate Winslet, you're on board. But could you imagine if Leo shows up to the table on the Titanic and is like, old sport, I went to Oxford, I did all the things and absolutely that's why. And it wasn't just his like, I'm a farm boy from Wisconsin and y'all are going to like me for my character. I just picture if he wanted to be Gatsby, he probably could have gotten away with it on Mm -hmm. that boat. And what different of a movie that would be. Like, we don't yeah. really love Gatsby. We're like, that's cool, dude. That You're, you're shooting for something. Katie. But with Jack Dawson, I'm like, yeah, dude, you get that rich girl. Show her your ways. Paint her like a French girl. Let's go. You're kind <laughs> of right. There are some very serious parallels there. And I find it ironic that Leo has portrayed them both. But but you're right. And then guess what? They both die in the end. So, so it's <laughs> just don't go for the American dream, people. It's not worth it. Leo, you can die as much as you want, but you got that out. Oscar eventually, man. You got there was it. enough room for him know. on the yeah. on the door. <laughs> or it's like, don't go, like, don't make the that girl your end game. Yes, if you're going for the American dream. Like, like Gatsby could have rode out that lie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if Daisy didn't come along and like fuck up his day, he could have rode it out a little while longer. Like Jack, if he didn't, well. Jack's different. He probably would have been down in that third class. and Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was a confined space. There wasn't many yeah. for him to go. <laughs> no, but you're right. I mean, That wouldn't he... have been Kate Winslet's fault. It would have been, like, <laughs> exactly. situational. She did love him for who he was, Katie. She did. It um, wasn't about the money. No, but you're right. Gatsby did all of these things for her to win her favor, impress her, whatever. And she still doesn't choose him in the end. And also, he was willing to take the fall for her murder. And she still doesn't choose him. Grand gesture. Be damned. Everybody get your pitchfork. I'm about to go after the Buchanans because I'm yeah. just like, y'all are shit. Y'all are shit. <laughs> Daisy's the worst. Well, then that's something I think that the book does well is 100 years later, we're still talking about it because there's specific situations that are just relatable. Like, despite the fact that we as... 30 year old women in 2021 don't go to lavish parties the like there's still parts of the book where I'm like oh, I get it I get yeah. it I get what it is <laughs> I don't I'm not great but I get it um please <laughs> Marie what's the part of the book for you that yeah, you're like, yeah so this, here's this the, is I, I find myself I don't I'm not proud of this but oh. I find myself defending shitty people a lot on this podcast <laughs> and maybe not defending them but like understanding, understanding how they got there sure so like I think that Tom Buchanan is a dick and a terrible human being and is awful. However, I do understand how Daisy picked him. Like, yeah. <laughs> if you're if if in this world your only two choices are your super racist husband who you know, who you have a daughter with, who has money, and who at some point you have loved, or your ex who has some shady shit going on mm-hmm. and you haven't known in years and shows like, up mysteriously at your door. Yeah, and he's like, just so you know, I've been across the street for five years. Also, I speak for you now, and you have always loved me, not yeah. him. I <laughs> yeah. can understand how you pick the racist dick because he is your husband. I don't know, and you have a family. And like, there that were there was, was a moment when they were in the room and they were talking about how like the Tom and Gatsby were arguing about how she felt, and no one asked her how she felt. Nope, and it was kind of un understood that like they had a great love story Gatsby and Daisy and she would run away with him and then I'm just like 
he sucks too. Like, <laughs> so if you're presented with two shitty options, you stick with the, what is it? The monster, you know, the yeah. devil, you know, devil you I know, think that yeah. is the devil. Yeah. You, know, yeah. you yeah. stick with the devil, you know, and not because he's the devil, but because he's your husband and you have a family and you have a life and you've built a foundation. I'm like, I get it. I'm not. Yeah. I don't envy Daisy's two choices, but like I do get it. I think it's very easy for people to judge and be like, in that situation, I totally would have gone with Gatsby. Like, Mm-mm. but I don't, I don't know you. I don't think you know until you're in that situation. And you're yeah. right; she had already built a life, started a family with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she basically dated Gatsby to just like rub it in her husband's face that like other people want to fuck me too. Yep. Still, I know it's not just you. <laughs> yeah, I'm hot shit too. You think you're the only one too. that can get some on the side? Yeah, exactly. But. At the end of the day, like, you pick someone for all the things they did right, and they had a life together, so I get it. Yeah. I wish he wasn't a white supremacist, but I get it. <laughs> <laughs> Vows were made. Yeah. <laughs> to each their own, so. I think that's more relatable than what we idealistically think we would do. I think, mm-hmm. like, you don't really make that decision until you're in it, because when you're 20 or whatever it is, you're like, of course I'm going to go after my heart, follow your heart, but I think the reality of life sets in a little bit later, mm-hmm. and you can come at this book and be like, I actually understand why Daisy did that. It's not shocking information. It's mm-hmm. the safe route. She's going to take care of her daughter, herself, and, you know, what? she does kind of love this guy. She knows yeah. he's a dick, and I'd rather, exa- exactly like mm-hmm. you said, the devil you know. Yeah, like they're a partnership, whether it's a partnership like we as viewers understand and respect. When they meet Nick, they have like a fun banter where he jokes and makes says comments and she makes fun of him. Like they built something together at some point. I In the five years that Gatsby was gone. Yeah, yeah. In the five <laughs> years when she made a commitment to him. So I don't know. I get it. Uh, how about you, Katie? What is something that you feel very relatable in this book? I- for me, Gatsby's uh, unrequited love of a dream, it's after a girl, but it's just this unwavering dedication to what he wants in life and will stop at nothing less to get there, even if it's a detriment to his own life. Like, Gatsby was a good-looking guy. He made money. Maybe not great, but there's a ton of girls that would have been on board with not great money and just were happy with living it up in East Egg or West Egg. West Egg. Um And instead of going after other life pursuits, he decided that he was only going to go after Daisy and only going to live this life. And I think it ended up being his detriment. And I think for me, I relate to the ideal of something living in Los Angeles and having that like weird idealistic dream, American dream, whatever you want to call it, of like, I can make it out here. They'll put me on the talkies one day. It is something (laughs) that like, I could make a lot more money if I had stayed on the East Coast. I could, you know have chosen love a long time ago if I had stayed on the East Coast. Like, it is just something that, okay, this is my green light on the end of the dock. I am going to shoot for this. And at the moment, is it detrimental? Who's to say? We'll write a book on it and come back later. But I think that (laughs) idealism to the point of almost detriment is what I kind of am like, I get why... I get why he was like that. He had a goal in his head. It was going to come true. Mm -hmm. Why would he give up on that? It's going to come true. Yeah. Do you need to let him I'm going to pause for a second. I'm going to ring my cat <laughs> do you want to talk about like the balance of how you're like nick every day and gatsby some days i liked that. i did want to mention that huh i relate to like the idealism of it but then also as i'm reading it i'm like there's one or two things i feel idealistic about and then nick is the bystander and ever honest mm-hmm. take him at his word guy very realistic and in so many other aspects of my life i am nick just watching people play out their characters kind of making silent judgments myself and being like 
this Gatsby guy is really fun to hang out with. I, I get I get him, but also I'm gonna hang out here in my nice little cottage, dating my nice cheating golf girlfriend, and just live a happy life realistically in how I know it's gonna happen. So I, I day to day Nick idealism on one or two things Gatsby Gatsby <laughs> maybe it's maybe it's good to be a Nick on your day-to-day life but have set Gatsby like goals like that's I like that Lauren how about you relatable <sighs> I hate myself a little bit for this but I hated mine too it's fine <laughs> <laughs> I'm not proud of mine either so it's just like a book <laughs> yeah I what I found myself uh relating to is is kind of that that first love and putting it on a pedestal and kind of um comparing everything to it so that was me I I definitely I felt in such a way that I've never felt with anyone honestly since um and so every relationship I kind of compare it back to that and go why am I not feeling like this like okay this must not be right because I don't feel like this but I very I I also forget all of the ways in which that wasn't a good relationship we weren't meant to be there were things there that were not uh that were untenable and weren't going to last we were not going to be end game Hmm. Um, so while it was a wonderful first love and while, you know, uh, I felt so, I, that was probably the happiest I've ever felt, but I was also like the unhappiest I've ever felt as well. And that's, that's, that is not a goal of mine for, uh, the person I want to spend the rest of my life with. So I do, I have a tendency to like put that love and that experience on such a pedestal and just kind of forget, um, all of the the bad things about it. Uh, I tend to look at it with rose-colored glasses. And I think that Nick kind of calls that out. He's like, Gatsby's been pining over Daisy for five-plus years. She can't possibly live up to this memory that he has of her in his head, that he's, like, built of her in his head. And I think it's safe to say at the end of the book that is absolutely true, although Gatsby never admits it. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's, that's what I related to, is just, like, putting a feeling up on this pedestal and thinking that that person, that must mean that this person is the one for me, when clearly (laughs) there are so many other reasons why that is not the case. And blurring out the, you know, the rough parts of that first relationship. And you're like, well, they weren't so bad. But in the moment, you're like, oh, actually, no, they weren't great either. Like, yeah, I would have loved to, to actually have been able to have like a third party look at their relationship from the outside and like, call out the things that weren't rosy about it especially the fact that she didn't actually know who he really was <laughs> the entire time she knew him yeah. um and he felt he had to lie to her for her to love him so uh yeah Wait, that's that's not what healthy relationships are built on you know supposedly not that's what i keep hearing but you know we'll find out Take notes in the diary <laughs> yeah. next relationship Facts. i'll try the lying thing see how it goes yeah. you know you know what hasn't Great worked so far but <laughs> um so because they, like, don't really know each other, Gatsby and Daisy, like, they don't know each other, like, new as adults. They know each other from this, like, childish love thing. Do we think that it's, like, a great love story that he waited and pined and planned for her? Or do you think, like, what is the difference between pining and stalking in this for him? <laughs> When does it not become cute? Yeah, and don't say if you're hot because <laughs> That's even my hot to guys everything. can be stalkers. Yes. <laughs> yes. Just takes you longer to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Honestly, when he buys property, 
that's where it became stalkerish for me. It was very early on. He purchased property ahead of time. And as somebody who loves the idealism and loves that forever hope that it will be, honestly, dude, he was creepy from the start. He threw a party every weekend, sometimes multiple times a weekend, so that one girl would show up. But he never invited her. He never reached out to her. It was was just like, cross my fingers. Mm -hmm. That's weird. Her cousin happened to move next door. Best day of his life. He's like, ooh, here's my shot. And it's like... He was trying to manufacture their reunion. He was trying to manufacture this, like, organic way of them coming back into each other's lives, thus making it not organic. (laughs) (laughs) He created that. (laughs) Oh, there's a glitch in the code, man. Let's just... Like, nothing about how he went about anything was correct. And I love the the illusion of a great love story. And I actually think, Lisa, I know you said it was like the shittiest love story of all time. And it is. But it's the illusion of the greatest love story of all time. And I actually think that's what makes this book really great. Because the illusion is what we all want. And we all want that fairy tale ending. Yes. But, you know... It's yeah. not that. He lied from day one, and then he bought property, and then it was committed, and it was just, oh, it was awful. I'm on the property thing for some reason. I'm just like, why would you pay a mortgage? It's a big oh, investment, no, Katie, especially, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I I think just like there's a thin line, I think the saying is there's a thin line between love and hate. I think, I think here there's a thin line between devotion and stalking, because <laughs> if this was, uh, if she did not reciprocate any part of his, his feelings after the fact, if she was not excited to see this man who just happened to show up her life again who staged happening to show up in her life again um it would have been considered stalkerish the the fact that he held out for five years and didn't like even try to like swing by the house and be like hey it's me i'm back uh i know you're married but like can we talk yeah can i get some closure i think there's a very very thin thin line and the only reason he kind of got away with it and didn't really end up getting away with it is because she was reciprocal to it but she was reciprocal a little bit yeah but like do we like do we think when daisy saw him come back into her life she was like thank god or she was like "Mm, a plaything. I think it was a play thing. And yeah. I think she was hot off of knowing that Tom was cheating on her. Mm-hmm. And she was like, ha what a fun, hot little play thing that I can wave in front of my husband and be like, look at me. I'm a hot piece of shit. Somebody else bought property mm-hmm. to be next to me. I am on that. Yeah. But like, I think he was a play thing to her. I just like, like much of the world is like a play thing to the, those guys. I think mm-hmm. Gatsby became in her life. And there is, I think a piece of her is nostalgic for that childhood love. I'm, let's paint Daisy a little bit deeper than the shallow character that she is. I think you never really let that go. They talk specifically about her, like, receiving a letter from him before her wedding day and her being, like, inconsolable, wanting to call it off, like, you know, drunk off of her ass. Um, and I, I think there was a part of her that, again, like, had those feelings for him, whether or not the she knew the real him. She had those feelings for a person he had to go away. She told him she would wait, but ended up not because she's rich and spoiled and wanted to continue to be rich and spoiled, but taken care of. Um, so I think a part of her did love him and thought to herself, oh, my gosh, maybe this is fate. The, the way that we found each other again and are back in each other's lives. It wasn't fate. Uh, it was Gatsby's idealism and just determination to, you know, that was his American dream and he made it happen. Mm-hmm. But 
I also think towards the end of it, yes, I think she loved rubbing it in her husband's face. Clearly, or else she would have been more, she would have either left Nervous. her husband yeah. or she would have been more discreet about her <laughs> obvious feelings for Gatsby. So I think I think it started out as, oh my God, this is my great love, come back. And I think maybe she quickly realized he no longer lives up to the the memory I have of him anymore. Yeah, I feel like, the great Gatsby like would have been a great love story if she picked him in the same way that like in the notebook Noah oh. basically stalks the shit out of her and then she picks Noah so it's a great love story but the logical I mean here's me alone on an island I never in a million <laughs> years would have left the the army guy for the house guy <laughs> this is descriptive oh, I disagree <laughs> with you guys wholeheartedly and he didn't seek her out he didn't he has he wrote a letter Every day. <laughs> he jumped on a Ferris wheel I to just say Noah. hello to her. If we're going to go on no, full notebook here, I would have gone Noah. That's adorable. Yeah, I think No, that's but adorable. like that, so it's the same circumstances. Like poor man meets rich girl, stalks her when she leaves him for rich guy. Buys mm-hmm. property. But that's not how they came back in each other's lives. They really did come back by fate because his picture was taken because he had finished the house and she saw it and she went to him. She yeah, but she, he the built the house and wanted. published it so that she would see it in mm, hopes that she would maybe. see it. It was more discreet stalking, but stalking nonetheless. <laughs> mm. Should we start a notebook podcast? <laughs> but like the notebook is a great love story because she goes back to him and picks him. So would would Great Gatsby be a love great a love story if we're like of course she leaves her white supremacist husband and goes back to her young like rich neighbor that she always was pining for then it would be a great love story but because she stays with her husband it's creepy i think it still wouldn't have been as great as the notebook because in the notebook she knew everything about him she knew where he came from she knew he wasn't well off so she knew him at his core she picked him being poor and she was fine with it. Yeah. Okay. Maybe if Daisy, like if Gatsby showed up and was like, by the way, real name, James Gatz, uh, mm-hmm. poor, <laughs> grew up on a farm in North Dakota. You probably are cringing right now think, hearing that, but I did, but I love you and I want to make you happy and I want to take care of you. If then she goes, yeah, fuck my cheating racist husband, like yeah. get me out of here, taking Pammy, my child with me. Uh, I love you. Thanks for coming and finding me. That maybe, but she didn't know him. Fair she enough. Really know him. Jay Gatz plus Jack Dawson. <laughs> Daisy would have gone there. We always choose Noah because he came at it from the... Uh, I'm just trying to get the relationship rules down. But at least oh, for me, that's a great point because yeah. the notebook, Noah every day, every single day. Mm-hmm. And I can't even use my property excuse. He bought property for her. So, <laughs> well, yeah. my argument's been cut. I'm probably alone on an island, but I never would have gone back to Noah. <laughs> I would have been like, what a nice memory that I have sometimes with my handsome, rich husband that is stable <laughs> and adores me. <laughs> oh my god, what is that actor's name? Why can't I think of it? James Marsden. Uh, James Marsden, not a bad second. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Alone James. on that island. Mm-hmm. You know what, but I, I said this to you earlier too, you you like to kind of um, put down the fact that, you know, you're you're gonna stick with your marriage and your vows, and I... I, I don't think you should put that down. I think you should be so, so proud of that because you took vows. You said vows and you mm-hmm. mean them. And, yeah. you know, you're you mean for better, for worse. And you are sticking to that. And I think a lot of people, I think one, a lot of people think grass is always greener. So who knows if you're having problems in your marriage and like a long lost love comes back into your life. Do you start thinking maybe what if should I? And then if you do, you know, you're walking out. You said for better, or for worse. So yeah. I that's the worst part. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, so I think standing by your man and standing through the hard times and the good times, choosing each other day after day, Mm -hmm. I think that is admirable and commendable and honestly a great love story story that I wish more people got to experience. I think like standing by your commitments until they become the love story again is romantic. I don't know. That's my opinion. (laughs) So you're, you won't climb a Ferris wheel. Until no. somebody how <laughs> that on the ground. <laughs> I would not risk my life in that dumb way for love. Nope. <laughs> Don't care. Again, hot guy does stupid things, still a stupid thing. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> still. Again, my diary is so filled with new notes. <laughs> um, all right. So any other any other thoughts on the Great Gatsby? I'm glad we didn't talk about the symbolism. I think if yeah. high schools could teach this book in a different way. I think it would be better. Get away from the colors. I get the eyes are like overlooking the sin of New York and all this. Who cares? It was a great book. <laughs> Throw away the symbolism. Teach something else. Teach a story. Yes. Yeah. Try and make all these shitty characters. Like name one good thing about each shitty character. I'll wait. Ooh, that is a game. <laughs> no, that would be really hard. Tom, Tom has nothing admirable about him. Yeah. Oh, man. I did like that Jordan Baker was a female athlete, especially back in that time. That's pretty cool. A pro female athlete. Very cool. Even though she's okay, a, a dishonest person. Go ahead. I agree. Jordan Baker, where is her story? I, I love her character. I was yeah. like, what a weird person to write into this. Like, yeah. If you wrote books in the 1920s about women... Jordan should have gotten her own book. Exactly. She should have gotten her own book. I want that sequel. Jordan doesn't get enough credit in this book. Mm-mm. Nope. She's a con a con lady. And maybe she's only a pro because she's cheated in golf. But you know what? I still, like you said, that's a, that's a story I'd want to read. I want to <laughs> read her memoir. I want to know more. How, she was throwing golf games? That's fantastic. That's amazing. <laughs> Always. Uh, all right. Good deal. Good deal. When we come back, Lauren's word of the book. <laughs> yeah. Yay. Thanks, Katie. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back. So this is the part of the show where Lauren is going to teach us some vocab. Lauren's word of the book. What do you got? All right. So this is in chapter one of my book on page 12. Um, It's about Tom. They're talking about Tom. So it's at the very end of the sentence, though. So pay attention. Preconceived notion of this word. Go ahead. The, The word is supercilious. Now he was a sturdy, straw haired man of 30 with a rather hard mouth and a supercilious manner. It's hard to, it, without reading the rest of the paragraph, I will give you guys, it is hard to, to totally get the, the context of what this adjective means. Do you want me to read a little more? No, I want to get it from this. Okay. Now he was a sturdy, straw-haired man of 30 with a rather hard mouth and a supercilious manner. Rigid. I'm going to go with superficial. I was going to go superstitious. Are you just going there because it's got super yes, in front of it? Yes, but I could yeah. go on super silly because silliness is in it too. And I want to go superficial, but also deep. What do you mean superficial, I don't know if a, but also deep? Those are antonyms. I don't know if a word can capture that emotion. You you were better off before you started to put deep into it. You were closer with superficial. It means coolly and patronizingly haughty, arrogant, uppity, you know? Very like explaining. Yes, exactly. He thinks he's better. He looks <laughs> looks down on explaining in human form is what yes. you're saying. Gotcha. Yes, exactly. Okay. He's a mansplaining in human form. Next time somebody mansplays, I'm being you're super silious right now. Yeah. And then I always like to, you know, throw this in a in a real practical use sentence for today's day and age. So my sentence was grocery stores nowadays run the gamut with your economy sized wholesale stores like Costco to the supercilious stores like Air One who charge you $11 for bone broth. 
It's just fancier Whole Foods. Mm -hmm. It's uppity. Yeah. Yeah. It's like they're just charging you money and slapping organic on it and thinking, okay, well, we'll charge you three times the price we need to on this. But Air One, I like if you want to sponsor this podcast, I will buy a little more. <laughs> yeah, not disparaging Air One. They have delicious <laughs> things, but also <laughs> super sillious. Oh, that is super silly. <laughs> what are we reading next week, Lisa Marie? Thank you for listening. Join us next week as we unravel Agatha Christie's And Then There Were None. Dun, 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 dun. The OG who done it. I read this one, but I yeah. cannot remember who did no it. No spoilers. So okay, good. I couldn't spoil it if I wanted to. <laughs> I think that I'll have to read the last page of this first. Oh, oh God. Lisa Marie, you're <laughs> so disrespectful. <laughs> That's a fun character trait of yours. We'll get into right. it, but not now. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Talk to you guys soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.